I always feel like I'm not prepared enough for these things. You'll be just fine. You'll see. What? What makes you say that? This is the show. What? What, what makes you say that? You were. This. I don't know why. Why wouldn't you be? What's What's the worry? Well, it's a little bit early for us to be candid, but I think even though you don't do research or prepare supposedly, I think a lot of times you know more about what you're going to say than you let on. You get backdoor preparation. <laughs> I mean, do I think about what I'm going to do on the show before the show? Yes, I do. Uh, hmm. You can feel free to do that as well. I can do uh, that. I do that. Yeah, okay. you could. Yeah, back to our preparation. Um, yeah, it's just that, you know, you you always seem so maybe I wonder so, if you're wiping wrong. You don't you've never wondered that. Backdoor preparation. Come on. Work what? with me in the space. Play with me in the space. Do something with me in the space. Oh no, I just typed that in the in the document. I know. I gotta clean up this document. I think you I think you have a better brain than me, and I think that's one of the reasons, the numerous reasons people like you better. It's not a thing I'm hung up on, but it's important for me to be aware of. Mm-hmm. It gives you a lot of, um, what do you say, green ocean to get out there and talk about whatever it is, the, the bee in your bonnet. And here's me. Blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. But that's the kind of podcast I like personally. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I like our, our show and I do, I am a listener and a supporter, but uh, that's how I like to think of, think of it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I, I uh, increasingly, this is for a different uh, day. You know what? We should talk about podcasts someday. Because, I, you know, now podcasts, like when we meet people, when I meet people and talk to them about podcasts, they like a lot of stuff that's basically RSS for public radio. Which, you know, if you're reading something, something over a music bed, it's pretty different than what uh, you and I are doing. That's true. Have you sensed over time a shift in, um, as people become more aware of podcasts as a thing, like, do you have a thought on, on uh, what is and isn't a podcast apart from the things that we blather on about from like a tech standpoint? Does it seem like more like prepared story? God, forget it. Never mind. It's a dumb no, question. I, I, I have I have something to say on this topic. I, I don't right. think I have. Also, well, I've had I've had occasion to come in contact more with what uh, I don't know regular people, uh, the average person thinks about podcasts because now. Unfortunately, fortunately, whatever. I, <laughs> now I've people mentioned... know that's what John does. Well, no, because yeah, because they, they people make small talk, and uh, and I've they ask you like how's work or what are you doing or whatever, and I just to my own surprise, I find myself telling them the truth about when they ask this small talk question. I went to the dentist recently, the doctor, like they're all you don't want to make small talk, like just you know being friendly, making their day pass better ask you some question, they always ask you something about work or say something about work or whatever. Absolutely. Well, I, or like the one I always get in lifts and when I get my hair cut, Judy always says to me, first thing, Judy says one word to me and it makes me very upset. Judy says, busy? Mm. Yeah, it, but no, you get in a thing, that's, that's the default, at least with dudes, that's the default topic. Yeah, I mean, like if some, uh, you know, a contractor coming to give me an estimate or something on the house, ask me what I do and like, I, sh- I, don't, I should not pursue this but anyway i found myself in the position of having to say what i do for a living you know, I, I just at this point i should i should still do what i said i did last time i discussed this was like I, I do stuff with computers that's what i should have said because technically it's still true that's pretty right? much what i've said since the 90s and it's a conversation ender right i do stuff with computers and they go oh that's nice right because they don't actually know or care or whatever 
But I find my, I found these words coming out of my mouth. It's probably because I talked about it on the podcast and, and on some other podcasts. And now I feel like I have to do it to fulfill that prophecy, which is like, uh, I'm a podcaster. That's what I say. Yes. And and so then I get to see or hear what what that means to people. People are generally extremely positive, I have to say, at least with me. And they're like, oh, that's cool. I, I like podcasts. Yeah. So I for, for my first thing that surprised me is a shocking number of people still who I talk to really have no idea what that is. Like, it's not that they, they think it's serial. They just they don't, they don't even know. Like, it's not mm. on their radar as a thing. Or maybe they've heard the term, but they they find themselves admitting during the small talk, you know, I don't actually know what that is. Because it's so clear that they have never listened to one at all. And maybe they've heard the word once or twice, but it's just well, completely it's, 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 it's understandably, it's a little bit of a punchline. I think a pretty funny punchline. You know, like, like a recently when Conan was on... Um, SNL and they were doing the Five Timers Club bit, how Paul, Paul Rudd got robbed of his chance for the Five Timers Club because of COVID. And he comes in, they're like, well, what are you doing now? He's like, I have a podcast. Ah, big, I mean, that, because it's seen as the like easy fallback to a real job. If you can consider being a late night host a real job, which I do. Mm-hmm. But, and I, I want to just clarify something here just for myself, uh, my own reasons, is that I, I, I'm not ashamed of it at all. But the reason that, well, let's just reiterate the, to state the obvious. For for years, I mean, what what would you say to people that you did for a living in, for example, in in nineteen in the late nineties? I'm guessing that was probably at least by then you were saying I do stuff with computers. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's that's pretty much what I've always said. And what's the conventional wisdom, at least for me? The conventional wisdom, and for me and in our circles, is that you know, if if you want to know more. I'll go as deep as you want to go. But I also, how can I put this? I, I identified it a minute ago as a dude thing because I think it is kind of a dude thing. You're like smelling each other's butts and trying to see if there's any money in there. And you have these weird <laughs> conversations. And like I am very reluctant to get into conversations about status cues. Um, and it's never made me, boy, this really gets into our topic tonight, doesn't it? Um, gets into this thing. We're going to talk tonight about uh, how to talk to people. And, um, <laughs> which I guess the exception that proves the rule as John would say, which is like, it, it's so difficult to talk to people that like you need a, a praxis, but it's, it's that I don't want, I don't. Okay. So some people, as I was coming up, it was pretty much understood that your status in life had a lot to do with what you did for a living. And mm-hmm. you could be very proud of like, I was a cop and my dad was a cop or like, you know, my mom was a ceramicist and I'm a ceramicist. And it's like a whole thing. And you're supposed to be really excited to talk about how you like clean seats where the Michigan Wolverines play or whatever. There's some, there's some aspect where you're, you're ex- expected to puff out your chest just a little bit, at which again, to me, reads as a kind of status thing. So part of it is like, I don't want to bore you by saying, like, I make butt jokes on the internet and now you're supposed to ask me why I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to feel obligated to, to, for that to be like a conversation. I also don't want to be a weirdo. I don't want to be like, oh, I don't want to talk about what I do, like I'm in the CIA or something. It's, <laughs> that, a big part of it is just trying to steer clear of unnecessary, you know, status dances. And that's really kind of what it is. It's, it, it's like, it's something like, a, you know, like in Mean Girls, <clears throat> when, uh, Caddy is in the cafeteria. Uh, one, one aspect of that movie I think is a little underrated is how she keeps seeing aspects of like being in the wild in Africa 
in her high school experience. All the people like running around acting like apes. Like, I don't want, I don't want you to, if you want to be an ape, I'll play along for a little while, but I don't, please don't feel like you, we have to get involved in some kind of plateau contest about what we do. I like what I do. Now, with that said, the interesting part is then there's this uncanny valley because it's like most people will go, oh, that's cool. I like podcasts. Now, on the one hand, we don't need to talk about this now, but I do always, 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 probably like everybody, use that as an opportunity to say, oh, you like podcasts. That's cool. Like, what's, what's, what's one you've uh, started enjoying lately? Or like, what's your all-time favorite? Oh, no, you like podcasts? Name their last five albums. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> the, but it's, and, and again, and that probably to a lot of dudes reads as me being needy about wanting you to say you like my podcast. And <laughs> there's just not enough air. There's not enough oxygen in the world that we can uh, take in for me to tell you how much that's not what I'm trying to do. Part of it is a slightly professional-ish interest in what people you run into semi-randomly like. But I, it is also, really honestly, it's how I, le- I learn about things I wouldn't know about because I'm, I'm in a bubble like anybody. Um, you know, and, and really the joke, you know, serial invented podcasts for a long time that I think that really was serial and things like it became a way in. And now that's like beyond a genre, but I just want to clarify, I, I'm not ashamed. I don't want to talk. I, I don't want to like say, I don't want to talk about it. The uncanny Valley happens when, for example, my hardware store dude, um, my local hardware store guy, and I have developed a little bit of a, you know, relationship over time and, like we talk about Outcast and stuff like that. Like he, he likes a lot of really good hip hop and he makes beats. He's a really cool guy. And eventually one day it came up. I was like, I, 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 of course I blew it by saying something like, yeah, I probably don't need all these tools. I mean, I make dick jokes on the internet for a living. And, and then we got talking about podcasts. And it turns out that this guy is a fan of the Chapo Chop House adjacent shows. He likes Chapo. Mm-hmm. Get ready, Jim. He likes down. He likes, you know, those kinds of shows. And we ended up talking about it. And then the Valley gets super uncanny. He goes, what, what's your, what, what, what's your podcast? And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I do, you know, different things kind of with computers, stuff with computers. <laughs> and, you know, you, you could call pop culture in some ways, but it's almost the genre that I like or that I'm in, I would call the friendship show. You know, as I, as we announced to a family we were talking with outside Ricky Montgomery uh, a couple nights ago, I was like, you know... <laughs> My kid, who lo- never misses a chance to jibe me in front of strangers, is like, oh, you know, ask my dad about how he invented three white guys talking to each other. I was like, oh, that's true. I was mm-hmm. one of the first, I was on one of the first extremely important three white guys talking to each other podcasts. So you're welcome. Um, you know, we're here all week. But anyway, that's that's where it comes from. I don't, I don't dislike talking about it. It's, but like, I try to figure out like where it's going to land. And so finally I said to my dude, you know, if, I don't even know what to say. I guess I said, I guess you could check out this thing due by Friday. It's kind of funny. From week to week, if somebody asked me that question and they don't because I avoid it, if they did ask me that question, I think I would be most inclined to suggest a show based upon h- how much I think the most recent episode would be not a terrible first episode. What do you, when people ask you what, what, what you do, what do you say your podcasts are about and what do you recommend? Uh, no one has really penetrated that far. If they get, if they ask, like, if they ask any follow-up questions or if they say, what is your podcast about? The sky trenches are holding. (laughs) Yeah, I I just say, like, tech podcasts or whatever, and they don't really pursue it after that. 
Um, I remember that. It, well, I mean, which means it worked. I'm sorry, but that means it worked to plan. The idea that like you're going to have to like show that you actually are interested in hearing my 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 incredibly not that interesting job, right? I mean, isn't that part of it? But if they pursue it, then you're like, okay, like what do you say? Yeah, I hear, here's one I got that was kind of depressing. This is from the dentists. Sorry, dentists, if you're listening. Mm. Um, big he fan, said, big fan. Uh, "Oh, uh, you do podcasts. Where is your podcast hosted?" Oh, that's interesting. Have you ever heard that one before? I haven't, but I think I know what he means. And me I being think he means the, is it on Spotify? Yeah, like me being the stupid person. I don't think he means is it on like, Libsyn. I feel like, well, you you asked for it now, so now I I feel compelled to explain to you what's wrong with that question, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, like you've seen just, my mouth, you know how I am. Yeah, yeah, like how, like, but how does it occur? It was like, how does it, how does that the first question somebody would ask? And so I had to say, well, you know, I I mean, I tried to do it in a nice way, but it's like, well. That's an interesting question because, like, uh, most people, if you if I said I had a website, you probably wouldn't ask me where is your website hosted, uh, even though that is a valid question that someone could ask, but it's more technical. But anyway, I didn't get into that with them. I said because uh, your website, you have a website, it's on the internet. Well, my podcast is on the internet, like it's not part of any particular service. And I said this is different than, for example, YouTube videos, where a video is on YouTube. Most people don't have videos that aren't on YouTube because YouTube is so dominant in the video, you know, streaming platform. Right. You could just give somebody your Twitter handle, for example, without explaining what Twitter is. You could give your slug or whatever it's called, your you know account name to find you on YouTube. But there's no, I mean, I guess Apple Podcasts far and away is the closest thing. But, yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, again, I think, you know, obviously people listening to this probably understand this, but for regular people, the YouTube is the best example I could give. And I said, it's the difference between YouTube and a website where nobody really asks where your website is hosted because websites are just sort of on a level playing field where anybody can have a website, a big company can have a website, an individual person can have a website, and they're all just on the internet. I said, well, podcasts are like that. They're just on the internet. And I said, now companies like Spotify like to have things they call podcasts that are exclusively on Spotify. And to hear them, you have to get Spotify. But podcasts writ large are not like that. They're like websites. And that's where mine is. It's a podcast on the internet. And I don't, at this, you know, I'm already like three minutes past when this person wanted to hear anything about podcasts, right? But they're already really regretting it. Yeah, just there. They're really regretting asking what they thought was a benign question. Where is your podcast hosted? But that's, uh, you know. They got me with that but if one. you're a cop, if you're like, if you were, if you work for the fire, like I'm thinking of Richard Scary jobs. Like if you work for the fire department, you could say, well, I'm, I'm a, like a, a, a firefighter. Oh, that's, that's cool. And the, that would, that would end it. That must be a dangerous job. Yep. So mm-hmm. you go down the pole and that kind of stuff, all mm-hmm. the like, kind of like questions anybody would ask Merlin, like the magician, all the kind of like level one questions you get from people. But if somebody were interested in that, if they were a train spotter with regard to firefighting, you know, are you on, are you in command? Are you on like hook and ladder? Like any of those, those terms I learned after 9-11 about all the different kinds of firefighting stations, I guess based partly on their equipment, right? Or a cop, you could say like where you're stationed if you're in the army, ditto, or you know, armed services or whatever. But yeah, it's it's weird, and I I I do I I don't dislike talking about it because again, I learn things, and that's good. But one of the things I think is important in learning how to talk to people is how not to be like chronically tedious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and here's here. Here's more difficulty to this question. Obviously, I haven't figured Is this out more how problems with your dentist, John. Nah, but I mean, it's similar healthcare workers. Like, oh, I, I have figured... a lot of problems with dentists. Yeah. I, I haven't figured out how to answer the, the small talk work related questions in a satisfactory way because, because I feel like I just end up 
prolonging a conversation that no one wants to have. Uh, but like, well, and it's not, it, it's not, it's just a deeper level of how are you? Oh, I'm doing yeah. great. How are you? That's all well, you need. It, you know, well, see, the thing is like, I was, I was just doing my annual physical, right? It wasn't, I wasn't the doctor or anything super important, but as part of your annual physical, they're sort of assessing your wellness and they ask you questions about your life that are technically part of the exam, right? It's <laughs> What's not, your favorite ice cream, John? <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're not just, it's, you know, they're, they're part of part of the encounter, as we would say. Hmm. And so they have to ask you something like, how is work going or how or how are things at your job or whatever? And it's clearly like in the encounter, it is not small talk before or after. And so then again, I feel compelled that I have to be like honest and say, because I wasn't prepared for that one, because I'm, I'm not in, really in any context where as part of a professional interaction, I'm I, I'm supposed to talk about my work, but a physical, yeah, like, physical. Well, you're supposed to say something like, yeah, my boss has been kind of a jerk lately or something like that. Yeah. Like how how is how is your work going or how is stress at work or whatever? like, like, you know, questions like that. And I mean, I have I feel like I have to open by saying, well, I quit my job recently. That's I mean, that's a thing that most people don't say. Like I, there are many times in my life where I have quit my job, but then I have taken another job and I would never offer. And during those scenarios, oh, I quit my job recently. But because I didn't take another traditional job, I found myself found myself saying I quit my job recently and now I'm self-employed. Mm-hmm. It feels like that I have to say that instead of saying, oh, work is fine. I could have said that. I guess I could have said work is fine. I don't, I don't know how to. And again, it's like, we're going too long with this. Sorry. Um, But like, I I think another way, again, a big part of learning how to talk to people, I feel like is, you know, context framing, those kinds of things that I really treasure in myself and in others is like the ability to like see con. I mean, one way you could say that slightly differently that didn't sound as much like a flex or didn't sound like, Oh, please ask me about why I quit my job is to go like, Oh, you know, I made a, I made a career change recently. I started doing uh, podcasts independently, something like that. I don't know if I could ever say the words. I made a career change recently, like. But that's the, isn't that the parlance? Isn't that the kind I, of thing you could totally, say? It totally is. It just doesn't come naturally out of my mouth. I haven't figured this out. I haven't figured out a script. But I need still a script. early days. Still early days. Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll figure it out eventually, or, or I'll just go back to saying I do stuff with computers and work is fine. Like honestly, that would be easier for everyone all around. <laughs> You're doing a lot of stuff with computers right now. And then, final question: If somebody did ask for a specific. Like if they ask you, right, like if somebody dashed in right now and said, oh, hey, I hear you do podcasts. What should I listen to? Do you, would you say, I mean, would you say robot or not? Would you, you would probably say ATP, of, of right? my podcast? Uh, mm-hmm. People aren't going to get away with it. Anyone ask me about like, which of your podcasts should I listen to? I'm just going to go right back at them with questions. It's like someone asked me, what kind of computer should I buy? You're not getting an answer for that immediately. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you questions. Well, what do you want to do with computers? What what things do you have the, now? Or the things, XY you know? problem. Are, are you sure? Are you sure that you really want podcasts in your life? Yeah. Well, like, you know, well, uh, like, you know what kind of podcast are you interested in listening to? And they say, I like true crime podcasts. I would say, well, you shouldn't listen to any of mine. I love <laughs> that game. And I would like to think that I'm pretty good at it. Um, where, I mean, this was very true for comics. God, I so miss the ungainly X-Men meetups because one of my favorite things was people who were like, Oh, I like the, I like the, you know, I like back to work when I thought you were good on it or whatever. And, and they'll come in and they'll go like, Hey, I hear you talk about comics a lot. I don't know anything about this. And as it happens, the people who, God, RIP, people used to run Two Cats Comics are great at this, is the whole like, well, did you ever like comics like in a, you know, earlier age? And they'll be like, yeah, like, what did you, oh, I really like DC stuff, but I got kind of like, after Infinite Earths, I 
like kind of tuned out. And if you know know enough, you could go like, you could at least say, well, here's a good, here's Invincible, which is an interesting twist on that. Or here's, you know, Red Sun, if you want like a kind of slightly different thing on Superman or, you know, again, the boys, like, you know, it's not for everybody, but Homelander's kind of an interesting take. It's not difficult to understand that he's kind of a bad Superman in some ways. Um, But I, I used to, I love that with podcasts too, where I can go, if somebody says to me that they like, I don't know if cereal is a little bit general to start with, but you know, it can also be, don't we run into this all the time with TV shows and recommendations? Yeah, the, the TV shows uh, and TV shows and movies are the only areas I feel like I would be qualified to take any person off the street and ask them some questions and point them in a direction of something that would be good. But I, the, the, the podcasts I listen to are so of a type. I do not have the breadth of like podcast experience to be able to ask someone five questions like right. the people can how do, do and recommend how would you, What would lead you apart from friends, you know, well, and you, you and Snell can argue over this, but like I, the flop house is so fun. It's so goddamn weird. As I said to Stu the other day, you know, I tried to give him a pull quote that he could use. And uh, I said something like, um, the flop house is the, the smartest, stupid podcast of all time. Rage, uh-huh. super fan, Merlin, man. Now Stu gets that that just shows how much I love it's the smartest kind of dumb, but I would never drop somebody in on a Flophouse Mini. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, you know, I'm one, one of my many claims to fame because I'm known for much more than one thing, as you know, Merlin. Is mm-hmm. that I? It doesn't seem like a lot to ask. I reluctantly spread the podcast to our little circle of friends. I, I didn't enthusiastically um, like push it and promote it. Everybody, mm-hmm. I, I basically reluctantly spread it for exactly that reason. It was like, well, I'm listening to the show. It's, like, it's yeah, kind of weird. Me, you, you, you probably the won't like it. Like you, you're but, probably going to hate more this, but. Mm-hmm. I was even more reluctant with the flop house because because I had a personal connection to like it's like well am I just you know, is this just because I happen to know my friend and it's his brother's show right right, right? you know right? you know, so, you know I'm the even brother, more cautious. they read your letters yes right. uh, and, and that's on top of what you just cited which is like you don't just throw someone into the flop house right it's, it's a it, it's quite an ask and you have to really know is this the type of person who is going to understand and sort of you know get along with this show. And so I just through repetition of me constantly reluctantly mentioning it, a few people tried it and it turns <laughs> yeah. out that they liked it. And that took literally years yeah. to get like the sort of critical mass of local people to be like, oh, I guess I'll try it. I've heard John talk about it. Now, now I heard it someplace else. Because you learn to love those, those folks, you know, yeah. or like me and blank check. I mean, blank check, I think is a, I, what word popular, successful. I don't know. A lot of people listen to blank check, blank mm-hmm. check podcast. And it's absolutely one of my favorite podcasts. And, if if I were had to put my feet to the fire, it'd be one of my all time favorite podcasts. But and even though they claim to be uh, <laughs> Pro Smith's No Bits a No Bits podcast, the bits are are so funny, and it becomes a kind of admittedly comfort listening in a way that maybe something like Roderick on the Line might be for some people. It would be really hard. You get dropped into the deep end on something like this week's Roderick on the Line, which I thought was really funny. I think we're on another pretty good run. But you, you know, it's, you, you feel like such a pill as you're like, please watch Buffy guy. We are mm. like, well, you have to go back and like, ah, ah. it's like, mm-hmm, that's, that's mm-hmm. no fun. You're right. It is easier with TV for sure. Well, I mean, it's easier for me with TV because I've seen so many different kinds of TV shows. Uh, yes. So I have genres that I go deeper on than others, but I've seen enough TV shows that I feel like I'd have a good idea of recommending some stuff, even things that I don't particularly watch just because I've been exposed to so much TV, but podcasts. I've been very narrow on my podcast. The type of podcast I listen to is definitely of one or two sub, sub, sub genres, and I don't stray very far outside that. 
This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Sourcegraph. You can learn more about Sourcegraph right now by visiting about.sourcegraph.com. Well, maybe you've hired a brilliant developer. Well, that's swell, but now you've got to get them onboarded. So if your company is growing, onboarding new developers will be a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project that their new team is working on. And that can be tricky if the code bases your developers are working on are, uh, are already large. Well, thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move fast, even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most useful when it is findable. I, I, uh, show me the lie. That's absolutely true. Now, centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations, well, how do you make knowledge accessible to those that need it? Yeah, accessible, you know what I'm saying? As a code intelligence platform, Sourcegraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, which is cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and for everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worthy of that extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier. And today, they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of the five of the top tech companies, plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, and Atlassian. Hmm, wow. So right now, uh, if you want to learn more about this, please do me a favor. You go to visit uh, about.sourcegraph.com, and you're going to learn more about this. That's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. Or you can also just click the link in our show notes to let them know you heard about them from uh, the little monkey of John Craig Syracuse. Yeah, check them out. Check them out. Sourcegraph. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for their support of Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. You and I should hang out a shingle now that you don't have a job, now that you're, you're unemployed. We should hang out a shingle, and you and I will have a, um, uh, what David Siegel might call a boutique business, you know, a very small batch artisanal business, where if you're looking for a new weird TV show, we'll help you narrow down the range of which, which weird TV show. Because we not only specialize in weird TV shows, but I can also tune this to, like, how how much of an adventure do you want? How much of a journey do you want? If you just want something weird and like, you know, if you like this, you like that, I can, I can put you on the right path, but also like maybe you just want something that's like a Netflix five episodes thing or something like that. We could do that. We could, you can, you know how much money we make from that just off the affiliate income. That sounds exhausting. I mean, I feel like we're doing the the better version of it here, which is we talk to a larger audience all at once and we say things that we like. And mm. if people are ready to hear it, then they hear it. And if they're not, then they don't. It's fine. Did you see uh, Everything Everywhere all at once? Not yet. It's on my list. Okay. No spoilers. Well, you know, you have friends that can help you. I know. I know. It's not that. I know. I know. I just, I've just, it's like, it's like, a, you know, you know how much I love my wife? Um, my goddamn wife. I don't know. I don't know who I need to blow to get my wife to sit down on the couch and, and everybody puts everything down and watches the film all the way through. I'm not going to talk about. It. I'm just angry. Can't control now. all the people, Marilyn. I can. And how long it took me to get you to watch Millennium Actress? Oh, you know what? I, 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 it's very ambitious. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. the camera guys. 
I like those two guys. You know, I own that now on, on plastic. You should watch that like six or seven more times to really appreciate it. Oh, I see. It's Buffy all over again. Okay, no, I'll do that. Not, what was the original? You should watch it six or seven more times. It wasn't The Wire. What was your original bit with like how many times you have to watch something that's really appreciated? Buffy was like you have to go into later seasons and blah, the blah, blah. Is, but there was a, it's a there movie. Was an, it's a movie. It, it was an earlier bit that you did for how many times you had to watch something. And it's it's a movie. Do you want a, a clue or you want me to tell you? Yeah, give me, give me a hint. Uh, late 90s unusual comedy. Uh, the Big Lebowski? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, I think that was it. You're right. It was an early back to work thing. How many? It was definitely it because it's like, I remember I had my Yosemite Blue G3 and I was making web pages. Now, this doesn't quite add up in the chronology because this seems like it was too early to be on cable. But it was when I was in Tallahassee, I just remember coming on TV and I was like, what in the hell is this? And um, anyway, a QED. I've been talking about this with Dan for many 11 years. It's like <laughs> you go through so many, you go through so many things with the Big Lebowski, and like as many times as I've seen the Big Lebowski, I got the Big Lebowski book. I got Big Lebowski. Like I'm not as super fans go. I'm not like a Lebowski fest level cosplayer, but. I am a very ardent fan of that movie. It is one of my favorite movies. And I still either forget about something or see something just for John Polito. You know, the guy with the mustache and the VW? Like, mm-hmm. or the landlord. You know, he found a, found a place to do his cycle. God, what a great movie. Um, yeah, but then there's other kinds of things, you know. You know what? This is not the topic. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Reconcilable Differences. Um, this is one of our uh, very special bonus weeks, correct? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're going to do our program. We're going to talk to you about how to talk to people. And I hope that I talk to you and I have to talk to John in a way that you find acceptable. And we'll be talking about that. And then uh, we have some some bonus content this week for our uh, beloved uh, supporter listeners. And are we we saying what it is? Yes, we are. You got to tease the bonus content. It's good bonus content. Uh, It's about Merlin's e-bike. You may have heard Merlin talk about his e-bike in other places. So that's why I don't feel too bad about making it bonus content. If you're desperate to hear Merlin talk about his e-bike, he does have other podcasts. But But, if you're listening to this show and you want to hear me ask Merlin about his e-bike, that's going to happen in the members only after show. If you want to become a member, go to relay.fm slash rd slash join. Give us a couple bucks a month. You get these episodes with extra bonus content and you get the regular episode with no ads. Should we try and get um, get the suits to give us RDRR? No. That's a funny bit. Mm-hmm. Discover your desks. Um, and then we're going to also be introducing a level. We're still figuring out exactly how this will work, the money-wise, but we will soon be offering a level where you don't have to hear me talk about my bike. And I, I at this point, I don't if you... If if you have to ask, you can't afford it. It's going to be expensive. You need to talk about your bike, Marlon. We're going to talk about your bike. But I don't that's know why you're asking, show. but it pleases me. Yeah. Before we get to our, our main topic in this show, though, now that we've meandered for a little bit, I do want to make sure we don't miss uh, Ricky Montgomery. I want to have a couple oh, yeah, of quick questions absolutely. about that. And um, I'll just do, I'll say one thing just very quickly in passing. I think you approved this FU or whatever it's called in the Relay universe. Oh, yeah, there's, sorry, I didn't there's, say that. No, there's, one, there's a clever name for this when you talk about another website, something, mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so if, if you, uh, uh, hello, if you enjoyed what may be, well, let's put it this way. There's an episode of Reconcilable Differences. That is, this is the program you're listening to now. Hello. Um, I'm, I'm the little monkey, not the flying monkey, okay? But there's an episode of this program called Preparing the Way that I, I it's, it's got to be in your top five. It's, it's as, as Casey said, you know, it's up there. Uh, I feel like it's up there with toasters. It's up there with game controllers. It's up there with they got the wrong guy. 
Um, but when you talked about your adventures with your refrigerator, you did an episode called Preparing the Way. Um, that's very special if you enjoy John. And of course you do. Um, I just wanted to commend our listeners. John did not ask for this. John has a much more popular show called the Accidental Tech Podcast. No, the. It's called The Neutral. No. And it's called The Accidental Milk no. Hotel. Okay. Okay. You know, Homelander used to be The Homelander. <laughs> and then Madeline, Madeline uh, Sitwell had him change the name. Sally Sitwell, who's the one from Arrested Development? Is that, is that you're talking about like development of the show or in-universe? There's a really, really good, extremely gory um, animated series called Diabolical. And it's different animators doing takes on the boys. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool because there's such different styles. But there's two episodes in particular that are amazing. One of them is an episode that's very much in the style of the Garth Ennis comic. And what's neat about it, I learned this from my kid, of course, is that the Garth Ennis uh, comic, he based a couple of the characters on actors in the real world. So Billy Butcher is based on Jason Isaac, um, Draco Malfoy's dad, OA guy. And um, Huey is based upon Simon Pegg, who then plays his dad in the boys TV show. That's a really good one because get this, Billy Butcher is voiced by Jason Isaac and Huey is voiced by Simon Pegg. And that one's really, really good. But the one you can't miss is the last one. And it's the or sort of origin story of Homelander and uh, a super hot flashback. Madeline Sitwell is in it. Um, and that shows, I think coming back, wow, God, this week, later this week, soon. God, I love the boys. We'll put it in notes, uh, Diabolical. You can find show notes at relay.fm slash rdrr. Circling back, I have a more popular show. You were saying, Preparing the Way. Oh, yeah. Um, so you should listen to the latest episode as we record this of John's. It's already in show notes. Uh, in the after segment, this one's not about automobiles. It's about John doing, reluctantly admitting he's doing a different sort of Preparing the Way. And I, you know, no spoilers, but if you follow John's audiovisual journey, through this program, I think that's a, definitely a huge part of the canon is you preparing the way for, will you, will you pitch it so I don't spoil what you don't or do want pitched? Describe the segment. If yeah. You can. So, I mean, to I don't want to spoil it because it really is, it, it was incredibly stressful and funny. Yeah. The, 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 the more literal preparing the way on the refrigerator episode was preparing my house. So there's a way for the refrigerator to get into it and <laughs> to where it needs to go. <laughs> the um, floor, but, the floor of the way it is. Yeah, but the AV stuff is, I've been, you know, researching and hemming and hawing about what to get. Um, and It's not uh, like installing fiber in your walls. This is serious. This is serious spreadsheet stuff. Right, and, and I felt like, you know, as we've discussed in this program many times, this this seems like it's going to be the year I'm actually going to buy something. But because of all the COVID supply chain stuff, I did something that I very, <laughs> very, I've never done, I think, which is like pre-buy things. Like normally I wait until I've everything's assembled, I've got all the research, I know exactly what I'm getting, and then I just buy it all, Right. You know, just do because, the thing. Because just to catch up real quick, there's there's enough changes to whatever TV you get. There's a TV, the cutie that you wanted. And it's it, it obviates a lot of your existing equipment before we even get into the stand. There's a lot yeah. of preparing the way involved. And some of it involves getting electronics that'll play well with the new era of TV. Right. And the normal way I would do is do the research, get all the stuff. But because I'm so afraid, like I, in my research, I found things that I wanted to get that just have been out of stock for six months. And so now I'm looking at the stuff. I'm approaching the time when I might order a TV. And I'm so afraid this list of things that I have are just going to disappear and never be in stock again. So I did what, what I never do, which is I bought stuff ahead of time. I have parts of my new AV setup that I bought that are just sitting there useless because I don't have a TV to connect them to because I haven't bought a new TV yet. So that's the final piece of the puzzle. So I pre-bought a bunch of stuff and I talked about it on ATP. 
Still haven't ordered a television. If and when I do, I will surely talk about it on this program. But it's, it's such a perfectly, and I'm not saying this to like have fun at your expense, but you're, what you what you did, how you did it, and why you did it is so wonderfully Syracusan. Um, let's just say that it involves fan noise. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. But no, I, I do feel like that the sort of the, uh, for all of the like, oh, I'm doing all research and I'm I'm studying and reading articles and watching reviews for years and years at a time and keeping a constantly updated list of if I had to buy today, what would I get? Like all that stuff. It's basically a hobby for me. Like in the end, like it's oh, I know. It's, it, say it. It's a project. It's yeah. It's a project before you. There are projects that need a project before the project. Yeah. Or I mean, but it really is like a hobby. Like I do the same thing mm-hmm. with cars. I don't buy cars. I like the right. most expensive car I've ever purchased in my life was less than twenty five thousand dollars. And yet there are I've people read... who are consultants and it's like paid consultants in some of the areas that interest you who probably know less than you know about that area because you are constantly absorbing, seeking out, absorbing in all of your tabs, the the latest information that tells you what comes next. Yeah, it is a hobby. Like I've I've been reading car magazines since middle school and just had this encyclopedic knowledge of cars that I could never afford and I'm never going to buy. All I ever buy is a series of stick shift Honda Accords. And yet I know so much about cars. And if you gave me like, here's a million dollars, you have to buy a car. I've got a short list ready at any moment of just like what I would buy. Because you're going to get a McLaren, McLaren, right? Yeah, I no, I don't actually. Four door McLaren? (laughs) You know, I don't actually buy cars. And on top of that, the car hobby is even more hilarious is is because if I ever did get some kind of fancy car, it would make me motion sick within three seconds and I would just (laughs) never want to drive it again. Like, because I can't, you know. You have to sit in it like Charlie Watt. Charlie Watts couldn't drive, but he liked nice cars. So he would have um, suits made as the word livery. He would have suits made that looked like the car and he would just sit in his car wearing the suit that looked like the car. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what reading car magazines is. But anyway, reading uh, reading about AV stuff I've been doing, but I am eventually going to buy some AV stuff. And uh, But like for all that sort of research and sort of the, you know, the specs and like all the tech angle on it, which obviously I'm super interested in because I love tech stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing that made me start pre-buying this has like nothing to do with, you know, spreadsheets and tech and numbers or anything like that and everything to do with just like that gut feeling, that kind of sort of emotional response or you get that notion you just say all of a sudden you say you know what i should i should buy this now right because you're doing you're doing a version of like almost like consumer but yeah consumer uh calculus in some ways we're like there are so many factors involved in this and like you to, to 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 land that particular like uh you know spacecraft there's so many things that you have to think about to be able to get something you can use when it arrives yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but the, the pre-buying, like the idea that, you know, well, what's the worst that could happen if I wait too long and all the stuff that I research isn't available, what am I going to do? Will I feel worse if that happens or will I feel worse if I order it now and then just have a bunch of stuff sitting around and the calculus flipped all of a sudden. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a, you know, it's just a feeling of like, buy now, like the voice in your head says, get this stuff now because you waited six months for this thing to come into stock and it never did. The rules that you used to know about when electronics would be available to purchase are not what they used to be. I just waited three months for my Mac Studio to come. Yeah, there's, like, there's parts of my bike that are not as cool as they would have been a year ago exclusively because of supply chain. They couldn't get the derailleur that they wanted. So yeah, and it's not as good, but it's it's everywhere. And yeah. it's, you know, you could say it's a first world problem, I suppose, but like, if you're going to invest in something like this, it adds an extra wrinkle to what would already be a fairly extraordinary investment. 
Yeah, and so I do have a bunch of AV equipment sitting in boxes. Uh, some of it slightly modified. See <laughs> ATP for a <laughs> story on that. I will definitely you give can an stop update. Stop it with your show. finger. Yeah, I will definitely give an update when, right, if and okay. when I decide to buy something and I actually get a television. All right. Well, I hope you'll lavish some of that here. I think we probably need to get to our topic, but I do need to say some extremely important real time follow up has just arrived. Um, according to my wife, season three. So we're fixing to watch the first game of the finals tonight with the Warriors versus the Celtics. <clears throat> Season three of The Boys just dropped. There will be no basketball here tonight. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Burrow. Yes. To learn more about Burrow right now, you can go and visit uh, burrow.com slash rd. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com. Slash RD. Now, chances are you have a list of home improvement projects, or, or as uh, uh, John Syracuse calls them, honeydews. Honey's do? Hmm. Uh, but you probably got a bunch of projects you've been meaning to get around to, and you know, spring is a great time to get started. If you want to transform the look and feel of your home, you should consider getting new couches or seating. It seems like couches would be a kind of seating, but, but I think that's probably a term of art. Uh, I, I like both, but you got to go, you can get them from Burrow. Come on, this is such a no brainer. People, Burrow. It's a new kind of furniture company. Uh, they make everything with comfort and style in mind. From their modular sofas and sectionals to uh, make moving and assembly painless, to their clever wall shelves that make mounting a breeze, Burrow is designed to make life easier. Burrow is proud to use premium, durable materials so you can enjoy stain and scratch-resistant fabric and solid hardwood frames. Burrow knows people care about the materials in their homes and how important it is to make sure that those materials stand up to everyday life, which, which I think is really, in some ways, the most trying form of life is everyday life. That's just my opinion. They didn't ask me to say that. So here's the thing. And this, this is a true fact stated. If you've bought furniture from one of the big companies before, you might know that a lot of the process is outsourced. Who boo outsource. But Burrow designs everything in-house, which means the entire team is in tune with what people like you actually need. And then and you don't have to pay for shipping. Were you aware of this with Burrow? You don't have to pay for shipping. Every order, no matter how large or small, is delivered directly to your door for free. And that can save you well over $100 when it comes to a large item like a couch. Hey, you know what? Show me how uh, you're going to ship a couch for less than $100. I don't know how they're doing it. And I, frankly, I don't want to know. This seems a little bit occult, if I'm being honest. And if you have any questions, their world-class service and support team are there to help with any queries you have. From choosing a color to expanding your couch down the road, Burrow wants you to love the sofa you're on as much as you love listening to this show. Well, boy, that's a, that's a complicated thing to say. I, I like both because I have a Burrow. And I'm going to tell you another thing. I don't care if you know this. I'm going to tell you again. I bought a Burrow uh, before they were a sponsor. And I didn't even use a discount code. Like, like some kind of an idiot. But here's the thing. My lady friend of uh, over 20 years and I, we had been looking for a couch, I think pretty much like everyone in America anyway. You're always looking for a couch because it takes you five to 40 years to find a couch because it's, it's, they're costly. You got to get the right size. You got to go to the big warehouses, you know. And the borough was the one that really fit for us. And when I say fit, I mean that a, a, a man like me who might break his wrist while, while trying to prepare pasta is the kind of person that could carry up these pieces, take it out of their gosh dang boxes and put it together myself. <sighs> it's just simple tools. I did it all. Anyway, I, I really like Burrow. I mean, they didn't technically tell me to say that, but you know, 
So my friend Marco says, you know, from John's more popular show, my friend Marco always says, you know, you, you pay me to talk about it, but you can't pay me to like it. And I, I do like my burrow. I, it's, it, 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 my butt is on it a lot. Okay. Well, I don't know. We should probably edit that out. But, you know, you got to love the couch, you know? It really helps to love the experience. I can't make you love this show or this couch, but I really think you should at least check it out. So, so show show the people at Burrow b u r r o w dot com slash diffs. Show, show them you're listening to the program and that you're supporting my unemployed friend uh, uh, John Syracuse. You know, you shop at Burrow dot com slash rd. That, that's rd. Hmm. And you're gonna get seventy five dollars off your first order. B u r r o w dot com. Slash RD, 75 American dollars off. Nothing wrong with that. Say it thrice and it's almost like praying. Burrow.com slash RD. Our thanks to Burrow for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Before we go to our main topic, which yeah. quick, quick, uh, Ricky oh, Montgomery. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, by all means, of course. Yeah. Uh, so uh, both of our children recently went to see Ricky Montgomery in concert. He is touring the nation, apparently. Uh, our kids are similar ages. Uh, you got to go to this. All I wanted to ask you about uh, is what was your experience of being at a Ricky Montgomery concert like? Because I have to think that for the most part, the crowd in that concert is not people like you, except and unless they're also dads. So how did that go for <laughs> right. you? Um, it went fantastic, uh, fantastically well. So Ricky Montgomery is, uh, he's a, a singer, songwriter, like, you know, he's, well, what, how do you describe him? I mean, there's this, there's a, there's a new kind of artist. I don't want to say this is like somebody who's just on TikTok or just on YouTube or like just good on social media. Like it's all Came of from things. there, discovered there. Well, but like it becomes very important. Like his opener, uh, what was her name? Lynn. She was, she was good. Um, she is like famous on TikTok. Like that is her thing. She had, and I, I don't use TikTok. I will not have it on my device. There's plenty of TikTok use happening in one room over. I don't, ugh, China. You, you don't even have it just so when you can, so you can open TikToks in the native app when you inevitably get them sent to you? You know, so if they make it to Twitter, I'll see them, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I should, but like, it's so confusing. And watching my kid use TikTok to go like, like, for example, like uh, uh, my kid is obsessed with it. Now I'm obsessed with this cat eating a hamburger. And then the subsequent thing, like, meow, 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 meow. like that cat, very cute cat. Um, but, uh, but like the opener, like I say, is like, if you had to do the log line, it would be, hey, it's that 19-year-old girl from TikTok, and she has a band, and, you know, they're pretty good. Um, so it's just interesting because it is pretty different from the age, just to state the blindingly obvious. Uh, it's just another way that it's a little bit unusual or foreign to me is it's it's so different from when I was into, I guess what you would call major label, you know, FM radio bands in the 80s and indie label you know, indie rock and post-punk bands in the 90s, it's still so different from that because a lot of them, I mean, uh, any any label would be kind of like lucky to get them because they arrive fully formed. I, you know what I mean? Like, anyway, the point being, so he's in, he was in, he has this band called The Honey Sticks, I want to say, who are, those songs are really good too. And just to give some context, he's very popular with the youths. And uh, yeah, I was definitely like a like a dad there. Like like I mentioned on the internet the other night, I ended up I talked to several dads there, um, you know, because dads will seek each other out at these things, and you know, a, a lot of cool dads and, and, and cool everybody's. But like you know, it's a lot of cool dads. If you're Rick, Ricky Montgomery, 
you know, concert, you're probably not a total piece of crap. And I ended up talking about Wire, this band I love from the 70s, early 80s. So I talked to another dad about the new Wire album. I talked to a lot of dads about a lot of things. And um, so it was totally delightful. And the part that makes this strange and funny and very Toy Story 3 is that the venue for this is... uh, was the um so i should also mention this is the second time this year we've gone to ricky montgomery we also saw him in february when his tour very first started and i i i don't exactly understand this but i think the the bit is that he he and the honey sticks play like every song they've ever released at the show which i mean it's a little bit lost on me i knew his hits and stuff like that i mean i'm not an ardent first person fan of ricky montgomery but i really enjoy he's probably going to hate this, but his sort of like slightly like post Smith's take on indie rock. Um, he's, you know, very lyrical. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you if you had to describe for an old person like mm-hmm. me, like uh, the Ricky Montgomery's music as a genre, how would you describe it? And I've heard a ton of it. So it's not like I don't know the music, but I, but in my attempt to categorize it, it's like, John, it's if you're, like, I'm all right, if you're all right. And I'm okay, if you're okay, just so you know, mm-hmm. but like that song, what's the song called? Is that the sweetheart one or whatever it's called? That's like his big hit. But he, uh, how would I describe it? I would describe it as very much like um, somewhere above mid-tempo, upbeat, but like, and not gloomy, but like definitely it's, his songs have the feels. And he has this really amazing, sad song about, you know, his stepfather abusing his sister, but he handles it really well. And uh, and the show is great. I mean, he and his band are fantastic. But the 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 way that the hook for this, for me, of course, and, you know, why would I even explain this to my kid? I was like, Great American Music Hall is my favorite place to see bands in San Francisco. There's a lot of other places where I've seen a lot of bands and I have a lot of memories. You know, Bottom of the Hill is where I met my wife. And it's where I used, we used to just go see bands all the time at Bottom of the Hill. Obviously, there's stuff like the Fillmore. There's places like that. But American uh, Great American Music Hall is this really amazing venue that I think got purchased by, like, not Live Nation, but somebody, maybe Rhapsody, bought it and like redid this gorgeous theater that the dead used to play at to be very optimal for things like, you know, um, really great sound, really great like video accommodations. If you ever saw that DVD of Jonathan Colton live that has a bonus feature of me really screwing up playing drums in rock band, <laughs> that's a great American musical. You, you have a copy of that? The one that I've has seen a YouTube video. Oh, we see, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great concert, and I've seen Colton there several times, and of course I've gone there. I've seen the Wrens there. I've seen the Long Winners there more times than I remember when they were opening for They Might Be Giants. That's how I met They Might Be Giants, or more importantly, John Flansburg's wife Robin, who we just got super drunk and talked about Jerry Lewis in the green room for two hours. Like I have so many memories of like a great indie rock evenings at that place. And it's a very Toy Story feeling to go there with your kid who is now an ardent music fan. And I'm in this venue, like, sitting up in the mezzanine, reading a Christopher Alexander book on my phone most of the time, eating French fries. Oh, yeah, they got food, too. But, yeah, I saw Lamb Chop there, Yellow Tango, like, you name it. But it was great. It was so great. And I, I've talked to you. I, I won't bring life into the show, but it's been kind of a crazy time lately. I really needed it. You know, I really going somewhere and like meeting all these nice people. I mentioned this on Dubai Friday, but meeting this really nice family from Davis and like meeting their kids that are my kids age and talking about, again, podcasts, like one of the kids cosplays is a cosplayer, very into Star, 
crazy into Star Wars, but also is a cosplayer. So like she does a cosplay, and this will probably be clicks and buzzes to you, but she cosplays Gwen Stacy, um, who's been venomized. Like has been like venom. Uh, that makes attacking. sense to me. You know Gwen Stacy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's the Gwen, you know, it's the it's the sad Gwen Stacy from mm-hmm. uh it's the Emma, what's her head one? But you know, she has some back problems in that one. Mm-hmm. But and then this nice family and like everybody there, there's just let me just say, like, there's just so many young people who don't suck, and there's so many queer kids, every kind of queer, and they're in these these funny little like duos, threes, fives, sevens, and they're running around holding hands like, you know, like happy hippies. And it's such a nice, accommodating environment. And I needed it. I needed, like, I didn't even realize I needed it. I needed that positivity. And the kid's great. Ricky Montgomery, check him out. He's really good. What, what was uh, your daughter's takeaway? She, um, to, she, she, she got like an autograph thing, right? She got the set list. Uh, you know, they, oh, I guess they throw the set list into the crowd. I didn't want to tell it, you, but my kid was so goddamn angry when I showed them that picture. Yeah. And it was signed, like some of the ideas that the artist signs it and then makes a little paper airplane, chucks it Did into the Did she buy the, the package with the meetup and all that? What package? Well, you know, it's a thing they do now. I, first of all, oh, I no, remember didn't, hearing about this. Anything. It was an Amy Jane. <laughs> uh, Amy Jane, of course, you can guess what band this was. Get to go backstage and meet the band and hang out. Mm-hmm. She did that with Weezer. It was the first time where bands, like, you know, are trying to find new ways to, like, not just connect with fans, but make more revenue. And um, that was, you can buy like an upgraded package. You get parking, plus you get to meet uh, Richard Montgomery. But she, she, how'd she luck into a signed set list? Oh, I said he, he made it into a paper, signed it, made it into a paper airplane and chucked it into Ugh. the crowd. And she is tall and was in the right place at the right time. It's just like catching a foul ball at the game, right? I was going to say between a, a foul ball, a, a bouquet and a set list, I'll, I'll take the third one. She was, she was, she had a good time and she was very happy. Did she put so it somewhere this good? This is all part of her, ostensibly part of her birthday present. But is it on of, the floor? Or did she put it somewhere good? Uh, it's in a frame on her wall. Really? I'm proud. I mean, knowing what I know about her background in craft projects. <laughs> I'm flattened hoarder. out that piece I'm of paper. I'm My mother's. <laughs> shoved it in the, put it in the frame. But it was framed on the wall that night. She insisted oh, to be there. Oh, that is so nice. I, Hmm. I want to, I want to do that with my pants cartoons. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really good. And so, well, I mean, OPSEC, but like, did you go? No, I was not the escort. My wife uh, went with her because my wife is actually more of an actual fan of the music as well. Yes, sure, right? sure. So like, if I, I'm not that I dislike it or anything, but I would not describe myself a fan. But it's just for what it's worth. It's a good rock and roll show. Like, I, I think you put, it was a little louder than I would like, and I forgot your oh, that, that was a question. I was going to, I mean, sorry. I did. 106 decibels. Yeah, I have I have much less uh, experience going to concerts than you, but the little experience I do have led me to tell my daughter, bring earplugs with you. And she's like, why would I bring earplugs to a concert? I'm like, trust me. You don't Ugh, bring earplugs. See, you okay. I don't want to make this into a thing, but that's that, what you're describing right there. That's the problem. You know what? Earplugs, they weigh nothing. You put mm-hmm. them in your Levi's watch pocket. Yeah, if you don't pocket. want to use them, don't use you them. You don't have to there. even remember that they're there. But it's why the same reason you bring a modium and a guitar pick. You never, you never know. If you could be the one that handed Ricky Montgomery a Jim Dunlop, you know, one millimeter guitar pick, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. But no, we went to the show the other night. My kid had such a great outfit. Had like a uh, Hawaiian shirt over uh, a Garfield uh, Evan Evangel- What's it called? Evangelion. Mm-hmm. What's it called? Yeah, but my, my kid loves yeah. these mashup shirts involving Garf- Garfield. And, uh, and I was like, so you think you got all short sleeves there, bud? You think you, 
might want to bring a jacket? Nope. Okay, you think you might want to bring a jacket that, you know, I could hold for you? Nope. You think you might want to bring a jacket you'd keep in our automobile that's parked in a... Nope. Mm-hmm. 14-year-old person lived in San Francisco their whole life, still doesn't bring a jacket. They just have The problem is children, their circulation is just too good. That's their problem. They, yeah, their circulation if, but, is too good. They can circulate this warm blood all over their body to keep them alive at temperatures that would kill us. I I know there's so so much fecundity, but the but the other thing is like it's this joke used to be made mostly about moms, but it's true for dads too. Hey, if I'm cold, you're cold. Mm-hmm. Like if I think I might be cold, you're definitely cold. I have to give you warmth and food all the time. I know, and, but it's and, not actually true, unfortunately. Well, what's true? Mm-hmm. In the age of TikTok, feels true. Sure, feels true. That's truthiness. Um, I kept thinking right before we started recording. I kept thinking about how it was. I'm always referring to Toy Story, Toy Story two and three especially because it was very. I don't know. I discovered really discovered Toy Story the movies. You're not gonna believe this, but I didn't get into Toy Story as a thing until Toy Story three was out. So I'd seen Toy Story. Is this before or after you couldn't get the Toy Story toy out of the packaging? That's the day Daddy said the F word on mm-hmm. Christmas Day. Yeah, still remembers that. Thank you, honey. Buzz Lightyear had, was, was like basically like hot glue gunned into a box mm-hmm. to look good. Sickening. It's just real ironical, though. You know, a toy that's hard to use as a toy. No, no. It was bef- the, right before that Christmas, so definitely summer of 2010. And that's when, like, and of course, I'm involved with the godforsaken book project and it was toy story in particular that would pull at my heart because my kid watched toy story 2 every morning when i was out somewhere starting at 3 30 or 4 a.m trying and failing to write a book and the 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 i could not escape the irony of having a two-year-old almost three-year-old who was watching toy story by themselves because i was out failing somewhere in san francisco title and uh, that became that Toy Story three really landed on me hard, not least because of how old my kid was and where I was emotionally and professionally at the time, and you know it became a real touchstone. And, and I was just thinking, like, so according to fandom, anyway, there is not a specific. We don't have a specific canonical birth year for Andy, but based on what we can figure out from the movies. It looks like he was born around 1989, which means even plus or minus, whatever. Add, you know, that means he, this is this year he turns 33. It's not out of the question that Andy could be having kids right now. Yeah, this is the I I had this feeling when someone was making a joke, uh, a celebrity lookalike joke about the current season of Stranger Things, and I didn't get the joke because John, I re- the guy looks like John Ralphio from because yeah, I realized. So, I, much I, the kid the kid from the ice cream store he looks yeah. so much that was when season two came out people were losing their poop no. about how much he looked like john ralphio's like illegitimate son from high school i think the one that i was it was the main character and maybe maybe isabella rossellini no maybe not um i'll, I'll have to find it but anyway i re, what i realized is that i i haven't started watching that again i'm behind and everything yeah but it, it is it is not really sunk into me exactly how old the actors in that show are because in my mind, they're still the same age as they were in season one. You mean like how old Eleven is? How old any of them are? The main, the, I, because I, I picture them in my mind's eye and like, oh, they're just like they were in season one. They're, yeah, I mean like they're, they're, in my head, they're tweens. Yep, but they're not. And they're not, should, do I dare look? I don't even know what that actress's name is. Eleven, Stranger Things, age. 
Let's see, Millie, Bobby. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh no. <laughs> oh geez. Uh, wait, wait. She was just born... crossed the 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 Brimley cocoon line, hasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Two thousand four. Okay. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of numbers happening right now that I am not at all happy about. First of all, the idea that that kid was born in two thousand four. And is now like 18. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot about that I'm not loving. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Oh, look at them. They're so cute. And there's that guy looks like he's in the strokes. Um, apparently, there's also a very funny video, according to my kid, of, um, oh, shoot. What's the kid's name? Uh, the, the, yeah, let me get his name. Um, oh, oh, Dustin. There's apparently a pretty funny mm-hmm. video of Dustin doing one of those. Uh, Dustin and, I want to say, Steve. Steve? Mm-hmm. Doing, doing that... Um, most searched for on the web terms. Yeah. It's supposed to be really funny. Um, wow, look at those guys. And they got the was that a beholder? No, what's that? Oh, the uh, no, what's what's their famous monster? The the uh, Gilgamesh. Demi Gorgon. I watch those wired autocomplete interview things all the time. I don't I know why love I do, them. but yeah, I think the main reason I watch them is because it is it is actually a, not unique, but it is a rare opportunity to see what celebrities are actually really like in kind of a, a in kind of a way that they're not expecting like even the people who are in it aren't expected because you do get to see them yeah i mean they're not really going to be the they're, they're obviously they're obviously prepared but and they're like, on camera with, and they're but performing, like with john goodman but, and willem dafoe doing their career retrospectives it was so much better than i even could have imagined because even though it's obviously a little bit prepared and they know what they're going to talk about which which movies etc like i mean the john goodman thing gets really real and you get to see them in kind of a slightly unguarded moment and Oh yeah, that guy seems pretty cool. Yeah, or even if even if someone does like the, the autocomplete interview and they're not on guard, that also tells you something about where they are in their life and career. That especially is especially when they're younger. Yeah, yeah exactly. That is revealing of them in a way that someone asking them about how did you like working with whatever and like you know doing press because obviously they're just doing press for whatever the thing is. It's the same, but the context yes. of the context of this, like I think it just wears them down with repetition, and you do get to see a little bit of what they like. The one I just watched uh, earlier today, I I watched most of the uh, one with. Uh, uh, what's her name? Arya from uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. She is also uh, an adult now. She's she's really swinging it. She's she's doing a little bit of a Harry Potter, a little bit of a Matt Smith. I think she's swinging at the fences a little bit. She yeah, likes being she, naked. She was in on Doctor now. Who, and now she has. Uh, she was. Bleached, she had a tricorn hat. If memory yeah, serves. And she has bleached blonde uh, eyebrows. Oh, so she looks like a scallop, like John Roderick. Yeah, it was for it was for a role. She was playing somebody who didn't have eyebrows, and they just bleached them for the role. But anyway. Yeah. Um. Willem Dafoe's first movie appearance, according to his career retrospective, I'll find this for notes. Remind me, please. Um, John Goodman and him, both really good. But Willem Dafoe's first movie was Heaven's Gate. And his name is Willem Dafoe. He has an extremely Dutch name. And he came in and had like, like memorized enough stuff to like do this one bit in Dutch. And Michael Cimino just assumed that he spoke Dutch like fluently. And ended up like like fired him partway through, but he did make it into the final movie very briefly. He laughed one time on set and, and Chimino didn't like that. And then look, look how the movie turned out. You know what I mean? You know, entertainment's great. Um, let's see. Okay, so I've got an update here. So much has happened, says my wife, with periods. But we're talking about The Boys season three. And, um, and uh, Uncle Baby Billy Butcher Jr. says uh, it's so good. So now I'm going to go without home. you? Well, I mean, it's... Yeah, 
It's special. Really? I mean, this is the most anticipated media yeah, event for my but kid. That, doesn't that mean that they should be waiting for you? Well, what's going to happen is school's out, and I can mm. pretty much tell you what's going to happen is the kid's going to watch the entire season tonight, I would guess. Sure. I mean, maybe. I mean, but so would you, for that matter. Oh, I, I do stuff like that all the time. Exactly. I just I don't even realize that I'm in my sixth episode of something on a given night, and it's like, ugh, that's really not wholesome. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Electric. You can learn more about Electric right now by visiting electric.ai slash diffs. Hey, when you think of the phrase boss move, you might think of making a bold business decision or maybe giving a great presentation in front of a big crowd. Well, the reality is that sometimes being a boss in a small business means sorting out the orange juice you spilled on your own keyboard or helping a staff member with setting up their new laptop. Well, the team over at Electric know small businesses, maybe like yours, the, you know, people face these challenges. And I mean, because really our businesses are people or, 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 you know, I'd like to think of it that way. And that's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. So instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. And right now, for Reconcilable Differences listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. All you have to do is go over to electric.ai slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Electric.ai slash diffs. You go there now and you get your free pair of uh, Beats Solo 3 headphones to the, today for scheduling a meeting. Nothing wrong with that. Our thanks to Electric for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. All right, speaking of not realizing, the, the clock is running down on regulation here. We should talk a little bit how to talk to people. Yeah. Uh, I think this one's mine. Mm-hmm. And as you know, I'm starting to wonder if I should put in a note about like why I put it in, but this was <laughs> it's been in there for a while, right? The note is in your brain. Don't be so sure, bud. Mm. Um okay, so so the the the, the part I'm trying to, to sort of avoid because it's not really what I want to talk about, but I wonder if the instantiating incident is one of the fairly numerous times that somebody was kind of a on Twitter. That's one. And as we know, everybody sing along. Merlin thinks uh, that it, it, you have to be somewhat circumspect in the first time that you communicate with anybody, and like really ask yourself, like, is this is this who you want to be for your introduction to another person? And we could talk about that if you want, but it's a it's a deeper issue though. And I have to be honest, I think it touches a little bit on last episode's topic of properness, where we unintentionally started talking about stuff like do you stand up, you know, etiquette kind of stuff. But um, I'm just, I wanted to talk to you about this because I have to imagine that at some point in your life, <clears throat> after the point you were thrown to the wolves of puberty, you must have struggled, like all of us do, with how to be talked to, how to talk to others. As you get older, you have to think about like, how, I mean, if you're, I hope you're going to think about how to be decent and civil, learn like things to talk about, things not to talk about, and then candidly, professionally, how to be effective as a communicator. I sent you some very interesting texts from my kid's school this week where like, I, I get so hung up on the, the poorness of the writing <laughs> because I'm always like, 
I was, I, my poor wife has to hear this three times a week. Like, I'm not saying everybody has to be a good writer, but if you decide to become a better writer, you can't help but become a slightly better thinker. You, it won't make you a worse thinker. I mean, unless you're, you know, just doing a shovel blog. But I think all that stuff is complicated. And I think it's a moving target. And I think, again, touching on properness, I don't think we have nearly the same conventions as we used to have when I was coming up about how to talk to people. And I just wanted to throw open, just in general, like, what what should we know about how to talk to people, especially strangers? So I, I think I have become... Uh, very good at what you described in particular when you described stuff that stuff that schools are not good at i have the same experience at our school in fact just today repeating we cliches out. that you've heard does not make you sound smarter this is even just like the basics if you're of gonna say if, if you want to talk about if you want to toss in that phrase abundance of caution be really circumspect how often you use that and you, you, what you want to say is out of an abundance of caution or owing to an abundance of caution. And I think you really could reward it that you don't have to say that. You know what you don't say, John? You don't say in an abundance of caution. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. It's yeah, just, it's a, it's a bad, you made a bad cliche worse. It's a poor songwriting, Petey. So as part of the graduation stuff, they're sending out like year-end things, and they, they like to use Google Forms for whatever reason to send these mm-hmm. things. And they had a, uh, a thing that was asking you, I mean, a, a category of thing that I guess has become a thing, and it probably was when I was a kid. Anyway, anyway, it's like, what are your plans for your graduation cap? This was a survey question as part of the What's graduation survey. What's your favorite survey. ice cream, John? <laughs> no, do, you, do, you, do you understand the context of this question? What are your plans for your graduation cap? Um, I, 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 I would never give that a thought, but I'm wondering if it's become a thing. Like, there used to be things you'd see in, like, Life magazine or something where somebody was like, thanks, Mom, or something where you write something on your little mm-hmm. hat, your little Yahtzee hat. Um, it, it, well, if that's a thing, that's what I imagine it is, but I, there's no context for me to understand what that means. Yeah, so no, you, you, you basically got it. Well, so first I can start from the email. It's a bulleted, uh, item in a list, right? And the sentence is click all caps, underline blue here back to regular text to submit your plan for your graduation cap, semicolon. It's says inside. You're at a Google form. Now, this is just in the email, right? I'm okay. just saying, like, all I'm saying I is see, click, I see. click here, links are alive and well. And uh, <laughs> mm. even though you thought we got rid of that in the 90s, nope, all nope. caps here. Anyway, nope, so when you go blue, to it, still blue, it'll be purple later. The, the survey question is, uh, do you plan to decorate your cap in accordance with the rules that we have laid down or whatever? All right? And there's two choices in the Google form, right? The first choice is, yes, I plan to decorate my cap uh, according and according to the rules, or I do not plan to decorate my cap. The no choice is I will not decorate my cap or I am not going to graduation. So both choices, if you are not decorating your cap, both choices are valid because the first one says, yes, I'm going to decorate in accordance to the rules or I'm not going to decorate. That's one item. That's the yes item. And the no item is, no, I'm not going to decorate or I'm not going to go to graduation. But it, okay, so but I'm sorry. Is there a sense? Oh, I already know the answer to this. Is there any sense of why they're asking that to give you as, to give you context for why you need to answer this given oh, what needs to why be? Is it basically it's a saying question. is like agreeing to the terms? Is that, is that the basic idea? Why it's a question on the survey, your guess is as good as mine. But it blows my mind that they couldn't answer or ask a survey question with two choices, yes and no, where... If my son's plan is not to gra- to decorate his graduation cap, either choice 
encompasses that choice. Yeah, it's a, it's a comp, it's a kind of a compound question. Like in, like in you I can see somebody yes objecting. Choice. Well, you could object to that in court. That's not court, but you could object to that and go, it's a compound question. There's something implicit in what you're saying, and that's not really you presented this as a yes or no question, and it's for a variety and, of reasons and, not and, a yes and, or no question. And if question. the answer is no, I'm not going to decorate my cap. You can pick either choice because both of the choices have a subclause in them that says, are oh, you not going to decorate your cap? So this is basic communication, right? All right. Now that's really that's a really good example, and now we're talking about it. All right. So so this getting back to the larger topic of like how to talk to people. My you know twenty five mumble year career in corporate America as a corporate stooge uh, has taken me from you know a you know kid who graduated high school where writing was my biggest strength, like just writing prose my biggest strength has taken those skills and focused them on the job of efficiently and accurately communicating information to other human beings, basic information. Right. And that's the type of skill. Clearly, uh, unambiguously, like I'm going to give you this very well-defined bit of information and I'm making it apparent why you need this and what you might need to do about it. Right. Yeah, with Leaving out ambiguity, getting to the point, being precise, like just that's the skills that I've honed and email makes you hone them. because It just sends so many emails in any kind of corporate job. Right. Sure. And then, sure, sure. And then as you, be, you know, rise in the ranks of any uh, corporate ladder, you find yourself sending even more emails and writing presentations and talking to important people. And so like, I have developed that skill, you know, through experience, right? And I think that leaves me well-equipped to navigate the modern world in many ways, obviously in written communication, but even in spoken communication, I feel like I do okay on the phone with people. I'm able to not get too frustrated most of the time, and I'm mostly able to communicate, you know, what I want in, in a small amount of words. But that so that's one branch of the how to talk to people that can really help. But there's another branch to it that you alluded to before, which is basically like, you know, people whose first communication to you is to be a giant jerk because they think you're an institution and not a human or whatever. And my experience in that area is not quite as rosy because I think to the extent that I'm able to perform well in that task of not coming off as a jerk uh, now where I am now, uh, I owe all of that. And it may not be much, but I owe all that skill to a lifetime of experience accidentally being offensive to people, right? And again, I'm not excusing it. A a lot of these people, you know, these same people like- The word you used to use for yourself when you were young was prickly. Right, and and not intentionally, because just like Mm -hmm. a lot of the people who will send you a thing where they think they're making a joke and having fun, in their mind, they're being jovial and familiar and friendly with you, but from your perspective, they're just being a jerk. But they have often, not always, but often, they have no idea- Right. what it what it's like on your side of it and their intentions are good now obviously you know it's the, their intentions can be whatever they want but their effect is another thing and that's just what they have to deal with but i just spent but, but i bet they would self-assess that they are nice yeah and and, and, and when and, i say and that because people, they, they 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 that that i hey but i'm nice can become a barrier of like well yeah i'm, I'm i like to think that i'm nice but and one person's nice is another person's passive aggressive. One person's nice can be another person's like, could you shorten this? And not because I can't be troubled to read emails, but because you've created something ambiguous by filling it with all of these emotions. And like, what's that? Like, what are those words in uh, specs, you know, like shall, mm-hmm. must, those kinds of things. Like, I get why you use those words. 
because they're like legal, right? They're legal in the sense of they have a, it's a term of art that says, give me an example. Isn't there an example that inspects shall is one? Yeah, no, I don't know this. But, but the point is, like, when somebody sends you, can, you that, you can, like, so if you if you think I shall do this, I must do this, I think it's okay. If people in HR sure wouldn't hesitate to do that, I'll bet. But like, sometimes it's unclear, like, who's supposed to have the ball. Yeah, and I, I think when when someone like that, when when someone does something like that and is confronted with it, that is revealing of their sort of temperament uh, and and character because the you know the dark side of that is. Someone tries to be joking with you on Twitter and, you know, it, it, you don't read it that way and it comes across poorly for you. Sometimes, even though yeah, sometimes it feels I have, really I've tried to get better at stopping and really reading it and saying, like, you know, this is just another way to say hello with mm -hmm. probably maybe even greatly inflated familiarity. And it was not meant to be hurtful. Right. But, but sometimes it is. And sometimes you will, you know, it, if that was if you were to note that to the person if they then double down, they double down because they're they're angry that like, well, my intentions were good. What are you getting pissed mm -hmm. off about? I know what was in my heart when I sent that. I was just trying to joke. And now you're being a jerk back to me. And now we're in a fight. That's mm -hmm. one way that can go. And that, like I said, is revealing of sort of temperament and experience, right? Um, of like, how have they navigated that situation in the past? My personal temperament and experience was basically to be 100% ignorant of it for a really long time, which ignorance is bliss. You know, you think everyone loves you, but really most people hate your guts because everything you say yeah, is offensive. I, I, I assume but, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. You know? But if you don't know that, fine. Right. But once I did start to learn, oh, people hate you because you say things that are obnoxious. Um, my reaction was not to double down and say, how can you be, you know, how can you be mad at me and my intentions were good? My reaction was always to just be totally crushed. Like just the word, like oh, you, like really? you, you took it, you took it hard. Did, like did you accidentally stepped on a kitten. Like you, did you thought, feel like, like you didn't is... deserve it or you feel like you, you feel bad that you didn't no, realize. I felt, I felt, you didn't felt realize. terrible. It's kind of like you're walking oh, yeah. around on this beautiful plush carpet and then eventually you learn those were kittens and you, every time you took a step, you were killing them by crushing them. How would you feel? Like, yeah, it was just yeah, like, yeah. it just felt like the worst, like totally crushed. Like this is a hundred percent my fault. And I can't believe I did that. Just mortified, just and that was a very formative experience to me. And as I got older, I became more and more aware of when I would do that and therefore felt that crushing feeling more and more often, which is not pleasant, right? It really doesn't make you feel good about yourself. But mm. that was my reaction like, to it. As a like a professional person in the 90s. Even. Or any anything, any interaction with people online, interaction in person. Oh, I met a new person tonight. Oh, that person just learned five minutes later. That person hates your guts because something you said was offensive. And even though you didn't mean it, you did. So maybe get better about that. And just that repeated experience of trying to learn. And I still do it to this day, 100% sure. Like there's plenty of people who secretly or not so secretly hate my guts because I said something insensitive. Or I, 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 you know, I love to think I'm good at it. And I totally did that yesterday. We, and then everyone, I apologize. Everyone does it, but I do it a lot. And being aware of it is better than the alternative, but not does not feel good. So I feel like that gives me some experience and skill in trying to avoid that just because I have so much terrible, uh, you know, but, but it would be do, much better. Do you feel better. like it makes you more, do you feel like it's made you more forgiving of when yes, other people do it? Absolutely. Okay. Like I, I very often have said this to people and I think about it that very often the people that I am most able to be friends with are people that other people find obnoxious or offensive in some way because I'm so forgiving 
of that because I do it myself. Like you're forgiving of, you know, any flaws mm-hmm. that you have, you can either get super mad at other people who have them, but also from my perspective, you can be understanding of them. Well, again, so, it's, that ex, it's that ex-smoker situation where the people who are most virulently against smoking are people who used to smoke. And so there's something in human nature, I feel like, that like if we perceive ourselves as having gotten over some kind of an aff- uh, affliction, but like something damaging, it's so difficult sometimes to deal with other people who still are having that. Right. But I'm the opposite where when mm-hmm. I see someone do the thing that I often do, I'm so understanding of I'm able to understand and forgive them in a way other people aren't because because I've been like that, which is just, you know, a, a narcissistic bias of like, oh, I've also done the terrible thing that you're doing. Therefore, I am forgiving of you doing it because I understand in a way most people don't that your intentions were good. How, do, you, do you communicate this or do you just like kind of let it go by? In other words, like you, you just ignore it or do you say, hey, you know, you're probably having a bad day or like, what uh, do you do you address? Because that, that's another part of talking to somebody is like now this has gone from I thought this was fine, but John thinks maybe it's not. D- does that then become a thing where you feel like it, it? you need to say something? I think it's it's not more of like me trying to fix the other people, or whatever. It's just my sort of uh, awareness that that uh, if I look around at the people that I'm closest to at work or whatever, it tends to be the people that that other people aren't close with because their personality grates on them in some way or because oh, they say I insensitive things. I know some folks like that, for you know, sure. You know what I mean? And yeah, that, yeah there's, 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 whole, there's people in my life where I, I minimize all of my reactions to them to where I respond to what 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 I, I perceive, I, I try to do this masterful ninja thing of like a very short response that gets you what you need out of this. And I, I utterly ignore so much of the stuff that's about implicit status or, or boasts or like, because that, that kind of person is the worst or the person who's like the, like uh, Jimmy Fallon being the IT guy, you know, that kind of like brusque move, you know, kind of thing. And like, there's never a good day to talk to somebody about how they're coming off. But people will talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it very, it'll come up with me in the conversation of like, you know, when you eventually you do get close to someone else who is more like down the yeah. middle, they say, I can't believe, isn't, aren't you annoyed by Bob? Isn't Bob the most annoying? I can't believe, you know, like, how, how do you, how can you stand to hang out with him or be in a group with him or be on a team with him or whatever? And then I find myself saying, oh, Bob's not that bad. Like, you know, because, and this is the case where someone's intentions actually are good and they're just kind of like me, stumbling, putting their foot in their mouth unknowingly. And, you know, depending on how close I am with Bob or what the context is, I'll have a conversation about it and say, you know, you might not realize it, but this is what some people think about you because you do X and Y and you can do Z. But it's really hard to have that conversation. It's not my forte. I just find myself being a lot more understanding of mm. that, you know, and and a lot of people just say like, oh, I, I was friends with all the misfits in high school because I was a misfit. Like, I find myself being friends with all the people who unintentionally offend people. Because <laughs> I unintentionally offend people. Yeah, I mean, that is, it sounds funny, but like that—that totally—that totally makes sense. But like, what if it's somebody on your team? Do you ever feel like you need to? Have you ever had to pull somebody aside and go, "Hey, you know, to bring it down twenty percent"? Uh, Not really. I mean, I was—I've only been a people manager for short stints of time. I have had to have conversations like that, but it's not. It's not my forte. Like having that conversation mm-hmm. is not my forte. My forte sure. is being being an understanding, supportive friend to the people who are in that situation, which is not. Pr- but that's but that's you know, I mean, not not to be all virtue signaling here, but that, that the problem is that it's great. It says a lot about you that you've 
move like you see part of your old self in that and you've improved not but, old self still current self but, but i guess what i'm degree. saying is like what if somebody on that team is on the like that's them talking to you like how are they talking to other people is the thing and like that's what makes people feel so like gaslit and unheard at work is like somebody here is allowed let's just in general just use, it's a little overused but for lack of a better word toxic somebody's somebody's interactions with other people all mostly tend to be um you know all the things that are bad you know like you could be crappy you could be you could be unkind you could be cruel you could be terse you could be too demanding all those kinds of things and like that that just in 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 a way that I didn't worry about that as much 20 years ago now I think about that and go wow well, like, how does he talk to the receptionist? Yeah, well, there's a big difference between, like, enabling someone's toxic behavior, which is very distinct from what I'm saying, which is someone oh. has the, the best intentions and is the, it, everything in their heart is good and they do not get defensive about it, but they are accidentally sort of but, stumbling. But like, like, like young John or middle-aged John, they just don't know. Yeah, like we're, you know, doing a code review and they're a little bit more blunt than they needed to be. And from their perspective, they're not doing it to be mean, but mm-hmm. like... They, you know, they haven't learned to soften what they say. And if you, and sometimes you, yeah, like, that's a skill that you need to develop to not sort of yes. like weasel word everything, but also not be unintentionally hurtful and understand the context. This is a new employee. Is this an employee who's who's going through their first code review and they might be nervous about it? And like, like understanding that context would be able to massage that. I've, I've seen you be very good at that with me um, personally. But then at the same time, this is a joke, but not a joke. The, the way that you are when we do the pre-flight is so disorienting to me. Because I'm really used to, no, I'm serious. I'm just going to say this because it's Business actually- John a, comes out for a oh, microsecond. Dude, I mean, like, it's really, it's, it's, I almost don't want to bring it up because it is so real with what we're talking about here, which is like, my thing is like, yeah, I mean, given that I started on Mac Break Weekly and we always acted like everything was live, I I do like going straight into a show for better or for worse. And if if there is a bit we're going to do, like we've talked about it, but you are beyond all business in the pre-flight. And what we're talking about here is the three to 12 minute conversation that like, you That's do it with your guy. way shorter than that. I'm in and out in 60. What are you talking about? Well, and I'm there shucking and jiving and trying yeah, to make sure you still like longer. me. But it comes <laughs> off to me, even though this isn't, I know this isn't what you mean, is it comes off as like, oh, there's a word I want to use and I can't use. You seem sort of emotionally unavailable and like you're not playing with me in the space and I feel like you're mad at me. <laughs> and then, the, and I, I joke about it and I've joked about it since we started doing it a few months ago. It's been, you know, I think good for the show, maybe. It's still weird for me to begin an episode like that, but I know that that's just, you, you, are, you are doing business. But there's still a part of me that's like, what did I, why is John mad at me? Because you, you don't seem like a guy who gets mad at me. I'm just trying to get through it so we can get to the show, the fun that part. That is the show. Everything's in. Hmm. No, I, I think Preflight was also your idea, by the way. Like I did bringing it to the show. Okay. Um, yeah. I, um, I'm doing a lot of things with bikes right now. And, you know, one of the things is now I've had this thing for a month. Uh, it's kind of long story short. Like I have this, uh, this bike shop that I've been working with. They're the ones who I, I, I mean, I chose the, so basically when I bought, ordered my bike and of course everything's back order, I ordered the bike and I said, yes, I would like to pay the money to have this assembled. I mean, it's really cool. Cause each page on rad city bikes for each bike, they have this little kind of meter like, a, um, on the page that's like, this is how hard it is to put this one together. And I, I mean, I was looking at the assembly instructions for ones that were considered modestly difficult, like easy. And I was, Whoa, no, thank you. 
uh, you know, so, so sort of like that video you showed of what they call it, wire wiring. Um, shoot, with a car that was getting refabbed. Oh, the, the wiring harness out of the McLaren. Like, like, do yeah. I want to be a guy who's even touching anything involving a quote wiring harness? I was like, no, I do not. And they did a great job. And uh, they're really cool. They're really nice. And they, they were great to work with. And I was very happy to spend the money. And they were patient with me as a new guy when I came in. I wrote probably the third or fourth Yelp review I've ever written. Because I was like, oh, these guys have been around the shop anyway. It's been here since the 70s. And like they're obviously trying hard. And it's a crazy time. And everything's going to e-bikes. And you know they're classic Velocipede people. But having to sort of move into doing a huge amount of assembly. Like There were three Rad City bikes ready for pickup when I went there today. But I emailed the guy who's the main guy there. He's really nice. And I'd been emailing him about basically we're getting an exchange for my battery. These batteries are very costly. Um, I, I basically broke mine in a way that's incredibly embarrassing. But I put the key into the <laughs> put the key into the port rather than the lock. And in Googling, <laughs> I discovered dozens of other people did exactly the same mm-hmm. thing. It generates a spark. It blows the fuse. Mm-hmm. And so the, he was basically working channels inside to say, like, oh, we'll get you an exchange. In the meantime, I did follow YouTube videos. I learned how to, to tear it apart and service the non-serviceable fuses, and I fixed it a few weeks ago. And anyway, I went in today, and I was, today was the day I was going to go pick up the battery. Well, that's preceded by me saying, hey, dude, um, can we find some time to uh, also, you know, I want to adjust my saddle height. I want to help on, um, you know, just the the crank stuff. My right brake seems to be losing, you know, it's becoming too mushy. Uh, Just lots of little things. And I emailed him about that last Friday. So, you know, we were going to record this. It's just under a week ago. I sent that email. I hadn't heard back. I don't care. Like, fine, it'll it'll work out. And he wrote me back like the evening of Memorial Day. And uh, which is, you know, kind of a a red flag, which is like, this is not an email guy. And he's like, um, and and then I had said, I followed up, I responded before he had responded and I'm trying to be the best version of me I can be. And I'm trying to be loved. And I said, Hey man, you know, I'm probably making this more complicated than it needs to be. How about I just, I want to pay for that battery. I don't want you guys carrying any cost on this. So I'll come and pick it up and, and hopefully then we can schedule like what day this week would be good for me to drop it off for this stuff. And he sent me this like two line email where he f- seemed really irritated. He's like, you can come in anytime between 12 and five on these days. Uh, I, I don't, I don't get something like, I don't, I don't even get emails, not during business hours. And I was like, oh man, I, I thought I was going to be. I don't think that means he's mad at you. Well, I like, I wanted to be a cool bike guy and I was trying to be a cool bike guy. Cause like, you know, as I learned for the third time today, they're real mellow there. There's a lot of people just wandering in with a bike, wanting help fixing a brake. And it's a very like local business and they have days off and they don't really schedule things. They open at noon. And <laughs> my thought is like, God, people in this town work. Like it, it, it makes a lot of sense to find a day when I could drop this off and pick it up. And it's a long, kind of long story short. I wanted to be a cool bike guy and the good version of me and I feel like I misread either like the relationship or something. And I think I unintentionally overstepped a bound. And I felt really bad about it because I like to think I'm pretty good about that. And I have some thoughts about email in general. Um, one of which is uh, the last thing I ever want to be is to like, is to come across, even if I never said this, but it could be in, did he read that as, Bike dude is not responding to my message fast enough, so he writes me again, right? That would be a, I could totally understand that. 
But if I had to do over again, I, I would have done it differently. If I had more information, I could have done it better. But that's an example from yesterday. And I, I feel kind of bad about it. I don't like doing that to people. It's not a way to talk to people. Yeah, I mean, the, to your point about the pre-flight, like I, when I send, when I go into my business mode and send my business emails, probably a lot of people think I'm either mad at them or I'm just generally obnoxious, but it's probably because the context of business, like I think it works in business because you're, especially if you're emailing, you know, uh, across the leadership chain or upwards. Well, if somebody on your team and you have an established culture of all those sorts of things that we just talked about, me and the bike guy don't have that shared culture in any number of ways. And like, yeah, I like mean, if, he if, might if, like to get, who knows, he might like to get stuff on Facebook instead. I don't know. Sending him a personal email on Memorial Day was overstepping a bound, I think. And I, I didn't know that. Now I do. And I, I should have known. I'm not sure if that's what it was well, particularly, anyway. but like, well, see, I'd have to see the exact text of the emails to be able to give a judgment on this. But like, but business email, I'll send it to you. Like you, you learn. If you're in big corporate America, at least in the companies that I've worked for, there is a culture of business email that you either mm -hmm. learn or you don't advance because you see like the young undergraduates come that's in. How, they, that's how you get seen by so many people. And, and that's how you like understand. You are because, your emails. Because like what you sort of learn is that everyone above you in the org chart is a precious angel who is easily startled uh, and that who you can't really be uh, uh, like as open and candid with them as you would with everyone else. And everyone laterally in the in the chain, or you know, you should treat them as a respected peer. And then everyone below you in the chain, you have to treat as you know a, a supportive parent and mentor, right? And it's a different kind of writing for all of them. So you get undergraduates who come into their first corporate job and they email everybody in the entire org chart the same way they email their best friend, and it just does not work out well for them. It's just like you don't you don't fire off the hip. And, you know, let me just uh, CC the CTO with my random thoughts about a thing about how this sucks and this is great and this person is terrible. It's like, that's not an email you probably want to send up the chain on your first week because mm -hmm. that's not, the you know, you haven't learned, like, effective communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't. It's like, it's like when I sent that letter to General Heiser at the New College Foundation after my first foundation meeting. I told you this story mm -hmm. where I, I, I mean, it's another classic example. I was trying to be a good good writer and a good boy and to say like, Hey, you know, if we assigned more tasks to people, we'd get more done and blah, blah, not realizing that it's mostly just a social event, but I use the word accountability and my sponsor, well, he was my sponsor when I was a student there. He's like, you blew it when you use the word accountability. Like that is a very particular term of art to a United States army general. Accountability is a word that comes up when somebody's about to get their ass reamed because they didn't follow procedure. And the GAO, like the, the Government Accountability Office, like they are like the, what, CID or whatever. Like you don't want to get investigated because of quote unquote accountability. And all it took was that one word. And the general was so frustrated with me. And I understand why. You don't, when you're on a team, it's going to be so, you have to just absorb so much about what is air, what is water at this place, you know? That it's, even if you, as they onboarded. When you bring on a new employee, God, I hate that term. Um, sorry if there's a sponsor that uses this one, cut it out. It's really hard. You can't just, it isn't like Neo learning Kung Fu from a floppy disk. You have to like soak in that culture for a while before you, and you have to have been there for months or a year before you know the cycles of like, oh man, you never send this to Dennis on a Friday. You know what I mean? Don't you think? 
Yeah. Or like learning. I mean, part of what it taught me is like having meetings where, you know, I would be like three levels up. Come to this meeting with people who are all three or four levels up from you in the org chart uh, because we want you to, we want you there because of some expertise or they're going to ask you questions. And, and so do they like sit on the kind of outer perimeter until they're needed? Yeah. And, and I was the I was the young undergraduate and I would shoot from the hip and I would just talk like I would talk to my friends. And then later you would learn uh, you know, people, you, you like people would talk about what you did in that meeting and it would slowly get back to you. And then you would realize, Oh, I totally blew it in that meeting. And here's yes. what everyone, here's what everyone in that meeting came away well, with. To, to use a phrase I use a lot with media, uh, that guy was in a different meeting. Right. And, the, and then what they're saying is like, you know, I, I know what I was trying to express, but like the entire story becomes not that, but the offhanded thing you said about X and nobody even heard what you were saying about Y because all the, you know, everyone's just talking about that other thing. And then that has to happen to me like 17 times for me to realize, like, how do you behave when you're in that room versus in other rooms? Like, you know, and, and the same thing for every every sort of like the, the working world has so many different uh, contexts for communication that just. Mm-hmm. such a higher variety that are not present in regular life. Because in regular life, you have like family, friends, and like people you interact with in a commercial relationship. Right. And if you're scheduling a reunion, there's a certain focus to that where like in this thread where we're talking about the reunion, you might have little things that, it depends a lot on the person. But like, you know, the more people you have on the thread, the more likely it is to become super hairy because stuff creeps in that's not about that or personalities creep in. And again, at work, it's not always better but, you know, at least in that case, there's stuff where you could like say to somebody, could you could you keep your, you know, stuff about your rock collection out of this discussion? Yeah, but like but work has so many contexts because of just the variety of the org chart. Before you even get into the personalities of filling the places in the org chart, there's the variety of the org chart. There's tech versus mm-hmm. non-tech. There's, you know, yes, the, the it's just especially when you're bridging that divide, you're supposed to be the tech person who knows how to talk to the non-tech. But if people, you're talking but, to like a, like a, a, a programmer talking to a software engineer or like a, what what do you call it? Like, um, oh shoot, like a sales engineer. Like it's going to be pretty different than talking to a business development designer or the, you know, the, the COO of the company or like some vice president in another department. But it's not just about status. It's also about like, you're going to have to do some code switching. I think it's, you tend to need to do a little bit of code switching code switching, for example, that I should have done when I called my bike guy or when I emailed Mm -hmm. a bike guy, like it's difficult to learn the patois and it's it's easy to accidentally do something unintentionally kind of dopey. Yeah, and it it sounds like the the vibe at that bicycle place is perhaps different than a, mm-hmm. your average commercial business. And so you also this is where you get into like you know so setting aside the different contexts. If it was work, me, I'd be thrilled that somebody wants to like say, "Hey, can I buy two hours of your time on mm-hmm. this day? What day works for you?" And they're like, "Well, just stop by at noon." It's like, "Well, I can you know, do work." <laughs> just come by. It's not just, just come casual. by whenever. You know? Yeah, and I'm on a bike. So like I, mm-hmm. I mean like I, I if I exchange the battery, the battery's gonna have to work and like and then but like even asking questions about that, I feel like such a pill. A book you probably never read, but probably Casey did, one of those in the Rat King of Great Nineties um software books, uh the dynamics of software development, I think is where I first heard the phrase bozo bit. Mm-hmm. You ever use that in any of your environments? It was a Steve Jobsism. I don't know where he got it from, but it was yeah when when Steve Jobs flipped the bozo I mean, bit on it you. Proceed, it precedes this, but I do think about the bozo bit a lot. And the way, I, at least the way it was used, were places I've worked. You, you never want to flip the bozo bit. You never want to do the thing where, like that guy in that particular meeting, who may be crazy talented, but and, boy, Steve Jobs. Think about how that changes the the barometric pressure if a steve jobs like person is there and you unintentionally 
you say something. Okay, here's one. Like one I used to think about is like the mores around, like never suggest using FedEx to gym. Like, how do you pick that up? Well, what's what's Jim's problem with FedEx? Oh man, FedEx one time really screwed up his order, but then he found out it was also it was actually his fault. And like it's you know what I mean? There's those things where you're like, how do you learn? Don't use FedEx on Jim's projects. That's certainly not in the onboarding packet. You're going to have to just pick that up. But guess what? When you go to gym and you recommend using FedEx, you know what you do? You just flip the bozo bit. And now you have been pegged, at least by that person, as a bozo. You've done something outside the normal parameters. How would you describe it? Isn't that part of it? Is like, you don't know, you may not, if you're being the person who's not communicating well with others, you can unintentionally change a lot about how you look to people and you'd never want to flip the bozo bit. Yeah, well, the meta lesson there is there are going to be people in your you encounter in life who have uh, unreasonable, uh, who do unreasonable things, like for instance, condemning you forever as a bozo because one time you said something that might actually be correct, but that they disagree with. And you may say, well, that's not fair. That person is making a snap judgment. They don't know me. They don't know anything about me. And in fact, I'm actually right in the situation. They're actually the bozo. Why? How is it fair that they're making this snap right. judgment? understanding that that type of injustice exists and deciding your reaction to it is not going to just be angry about the injustice, but instead avoid falling victim to that, even though it is unfair. And this person, this is a, a poor quality of somebody. This is not a thing to be admired in Steve Jobs. People talk about it in the same way they love authoritarian strongmen. It's like, oh, he could be a jerk and he got away with it. Isn't that brilliant? That sucks. Okay. But sometimes yeah. you encounter that. And so he was a, he was, a, he was a professional bully. Yeah. So to to now, you know, understanding that that's going to exist and learning how to navigate it while not, you know, deciding that it is the correct way to act, not saying I love that. That's great. I aspire to be like that. No, but you also have to deal with it. Right. And that is sort of mm -hmm. the again, it's not like enabling toxic behavior. You don't endorse it. You're not encouraging people to do it. It's not a behavior you're going to imitate. But also, if you know that pothole is there, maybe drive around it next time. Yeah. Uh, just briefly, the thing about talking to strangers, uh, let's just touch on the whole, like, I don't know. Have we already touched on this? Don't when, talk to when strangers. People, don't the, the Rick Springfield song you're mm -hmm. thinking of. Yeah. I don't know. You Covered know, by just, uh, Jonathan Colton. Oh, wow. Uh, He's got a very interesting cover on it. in the big city, you know, the situation's rough, baby. That's mm -hmm. a pity. That song. Yeah. I think Rick Springfield is, is really underrated. Yeah, his arrangement of that song. Like I listened to John Goldman one so much, and then I then I put the was it on some was it on some girls or was it on Song of Day? Uh, some guys. Um, some guys. Sorry. Uh, no, it was before some guys. It was I think it was just a cover that he did ages ago, and it's definitely a different vibe. And I listened to it so much that I'd forgotten the Rick Springfield one, so I threw the Rick Springfield one back, and and I really like the Rick Springfield mix. The song his itself, the lyrics are pretty execrable, but you know, hey, it's the eighties. Yeah, so. but like I mean, it's it's there's some songs. I watched this amazing video the other night. Um, there's this channel I like a lot. I'll find this for notes. There's this English guy that does these longer videos about music and um, way better than most of the standard fare on music YouTube. And he makes basically miniature documentaries and puts a lot of work into it, includes a lot of like videos and songs performances in the service of talking about usually a trend. Like here's a thing that happened and like there's this kind of music and with it a little, maybe a little bit like Chris Melanfi does on Hip Parade where you're like, you know, this is the week that Whitney Houston's thus and such song was number one. But here's the backstory of everything that led up to that. He did one of those for Power Pop. And it was, of course, it's right in my wheelhouse. If this I had a YouTube to... video you posted? Yeah, yeah. I watched 
more than half of that didn't quite finish it. Um, did you recognize? You recognize obviously some of the songs like Blondie and stuff like that, right? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, but like he it was really smart, and he was talking about like the distinction between, uh, in particular, like you know when the, when the bands like the the Raspberries come along. <laughs> I've never heard of, and would have said you were making up if I didn't see that video. Oh, but you know, please, baby. I mean, I know Badfinger, but I did not know the Raspberries. The you know that song, right? You know, Eric Carmen's never gonna fall in love again. Mm -hmm. But he makes this great distinction where, like, Bubblegum suddenly comes along. And, you know, I have, have a special affection for Bubblegum. You know, as a kid, I love the Archies. But he makes this great distinction between, like, Bubblegum is kind of, it's kind of like this, it's just this ebullient kind of music about the music. And that's a common power pop trip, too. There's a lot of really good power pop songs that are about how great rock and roll is. But the power pop has the distinguishing characteristic of having this sort of yearning to it, this this sort of like unrequited love kind of thing. And I, I realize in retrospect, that's that's exactly so up my alley. Why was I telling you about this video? Talking to people. Don't talk to strangers. We spun off onto a little music tangent. I think I think Rick Springfield continues to be a little bit underrated. Great songs, great melodies. Such good songs. His first two records and kind of his third record. But it's a, it's such a pity that that's a pity. But like <laughs> you've heard Jesse's Girl so many times that and it's like such a like a touchstone for like oh it's an 80s movie. They're putting in Safety Dance and Jesse's Girl. Great. But Jesse's Girl is a really good song, and the arrangement is terrific. And if you enjoy power pop, it, it would be shocking to know this kid from Australia comes along. He's on General Hospital, but he also is like a really gifted songwriter. The one, um, I love um, Love Is All Right Tonight. I think that, that might be by Sammy Hagar. Um, no, I've Done Everything For You, another classic. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just uh, such good stuff. I'll put that in notes. You should. Music is really good. Here's the thing. I, I can make this as specific as don't be a mean jerk to me on Twitter. My my beef with people is like, I'm going to say stuff like, but like if I say something about like a general thing, that doesn't mean you have to attack me personally. And when I say me, I mean everybody. It's just, it just gets so ugly and so toxic. And generally I just completely ignore it or I make fun of the person, which I try to do only once a month is to make fun of a civilian. But, you know, I just, I guess Twitter is the worst conceivable place in some ways to try and talk about this because most of the people on there are compared to other social networks smarter than your average bear. They're often more connected to in industries that interest me, but because it's the place where so much of the discourse happens, it also, and so much of the context is, as we've said, removed. I don't know. It just, it just, it just seems gross. Does that ever hurt your feelings or it's my feelings? I mean, well, the, I, the bright side of Twitter is I think that it is a um, a uh, popular, massively distributed crucible in which to let the people who are ever <laughs> going to learn this lesson learn it. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, it, and, it, and it takes multiple tries. Like, I'm sure I do things that, uh, uh, you know, I do the same thing that we we're just talking about. I am overly familiar with somebody who's famous when I reply, reply to something because I think I'm making a joke when really I'm just being offensive, right? Everybody does it. I do it even though I know it exists. It's hard to avoid, right? But that experience of doing that and, uh, you know, and then realizing that you've been a jerk, if you are able to learn from that, you will learn and to get better at that by being on Twitter. And if you're on the receiving right. end, I think it will make you more understanding of that if you are inclined to be more understanding of it. I agree. Yeah. The the stuff I'm happiest that I've done in general, especially now that I'm a deleter, is like is in is in replies. Like stuff nobody sees. That's my favorite 
intimate place that somehow mostly stays off the radar screen. As you said, I don't have a way to control that I favorited something and it appears in someone's timeline. Mm-hmm. I, if I could shut that off, I would. But I'm I'm generous with the with the hearts and stars, whatever they are this week. Um, Green but clovers, also like blue diamonds, purple horseshoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can sell yourself on blue diamonds. Um, takes a day to explain the crime. Um, but the, but like I, I get acquainted with people. Like I, I love, especially like meeting new funny women in particular. Funny women tend to be ladies. the most ladies. <laughs> Have you seen me in my bike gear? But like, I just, I've, there's this woman that I've just started following recently. Oh God, you must've seen this, her tweet about Plex. Did you see that tweet? Yeah, you retweeted it. Um, yeah, <laughs> she, when, so, when she wants to uh, engage men in conversation, she just starts talking about Plex, something like that. Yeah, she wants to, but she's her her best. I mean, I started following her because of that, and because she's one one of those like she just beats the shit out of men all the time, men as a thing, and it's just it's so hilarious. And she's right; it's so goddamn funny. But then we start chatting a little bit, and we're following each other. And I discover she also has a bearded dragon. So we end up named Peaches. Who's I saw that with the picture of the lizard. You see with the Peaches? Peaches yeah. is on a peach, and then there's yeah, a cowboy yeah. hat. Also, Peaches has a cowboy hat, like the one Kevin Kevin Budnick. Mm-hmm. That okay, Very that original. right there. I want to be positive to end this part. I think it's divine that you can have a little, still have a little conversation, or like you know, I through Darth, I became acquainted with Lizzie O'Leary, who does a podcast I like. Um, she does the What Next TBD podcast for Slate. I really like her stuff the tech podcast and she um she's so fun she's such a great follow but like if i'm gonna reply i want it it's it's like trying to shoot the 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 x-wings missile into the exhaust shaft or whatever and i believe that doesn't the line go across the death star horizontally is that correct nope (laughs) i try to do a trench run it's like bullseyeing womp rats with my (laughs) team you ever think you're wiping wrong I think I might be wrong every single day. If I'm lucky, woof. I, uh, I I think it's like trying to land that missile in that four-foot hole. It's like I want my reply to be, it's going to be familiar. It's going to make almost no sense to a lot of other people. But like there might be a thing on parenting. or There might be a thing on just, I, I treasure the ability to try and get the perfect reply that that person enjoys. And like to me, that's what makes Twitter still good is that despite all of that that overwhelming surfeit of bad faith, context-free negativity, there's still ways to, like, meet funny women on the internet. <laughs> You're living the dream, Merlin.